Pip, the protagonist of Great Expectations, goes through what one might presume from the title: having expectations great enough to shatter. Yes, for Pip's journey is one of seeking, striving, finding, and yielding. For being born into nothing, rising suddenly into everything, only to lose it all again to start afresh and anew, is the precipice of this story. Among his journey of coming into riches, Pip must learn again those innate fruits that all good children are blessed: gratitude and humility. As a pure and compassionate child, often put against and jested upon, Pip had not the nature of complaint, deception, or weakness of heart, despite learning nothing more than those feeble deviations. Pip, instead, was a highly aware and perspicacious person, taking all that came to him in acceptance, yet knowing in his heart of hearts that it was not all there was, and that he deserved better. When others had no respect for him, he had respect. When others complained of him, he complained none. In his thoughts, he had righteousness and a natural sense of justice, but humility enough to accept the things he could not change, and see the human beauty of these things that were even mean and base. When Pip first encountered the convict Magwitch, he was almost struck dead with fear. He followed the convict's orders and fetched him food and a file for his shackle. He even went to pains to bring more than what was asked for and did not tell a soul of the incident. The convict showed no gratitude except for keeping his silence about Pip's involvement, and Pip replayed the scene in nightmares over the years. Though he had a certain pity for the convict. In his wild and unnatural state, the primary emotion still was fear. Then, when Pip came into a large sum of money from an unknown benefactor to start the beginning of his expectations, he was sent to London to become a gentleman. As he grew and further grew away from his roots, Pip began to live extravagantly and carelessly. Soon, the money dwindled, and Pip found himself ashamed of his home. His family, and the nature of both, he felt contempt when his two worlds threatened to collide. Such as when his beloved and simple guardian Joe came to visit him in London, he felt ashamed and embarrassed at his presence, despite having loved Joe so much in childhood. What had changed? Joe was still of the good and right nature that Pip still found in him. Still, what had changed? As the protagonist, and we, the audience, we expect Pip to develop a sense of compassion or empathy over the course of the novel, but we are shocked when he does not. He is still, presumably, a spoilt and ignorant young man, so far from the humble, brave child we spent our time with in the first half. When Pip's expectations are crumbled, when he comes into the knowledge that his generous and anonymous benefactor is, in fact, the convict he had once helped. The illusions of his illustriousness begin to fall away. Pip does not feel gratitude for the man; instead, he feels repulsed at having spent such dirty money, 
given to him by dirty hands and earned by a dirty man. Even when Magwitch tells him that every penny he had ever earned was to go to Pip, for it was his wish that he be a gentleman, and that Pip reminded him of his lost daughter, Pip feels nothing but cold disgust. He considers running away in the night and joining the army to avoid his dismal circumstances. However, in Pip's journey from a boy of seven to a man of 23, there has always been one constant. Pip's love for Estella is of the pure and unconditional derivation. When he meets her for the first time in Miss Havisham's estate as a child, he immediately notices her beauty at equal force with her cruelty. Nonetheless, he loves her, despite his misery at being in her company, despite the bitter tears he cried over her. Pip loved her even then. The unqualified truth is that when I loved Estella with the love of a man, I loved her simply because I found her irresistible. Once for all, I knew to my sorrow, often and often, if not always, that I loved her against reason, against promise, against peace, against hope, against happiness, against all discouragement that could be. Once for all, I love her nonetheless because I knew it, and it had no more influence in restraining me than if I had devoutly believed her to be human perfection. Even as Estella grows older and treats him with the same cold detachment, throwing her life away by meeting unworthy gentlemen and eventually marrying one, Pip holds fast to his ultimate truth, that he loves Estella. He lets go of his expectations of being promised to her and those of her returning his feelings, and simply loves her as she is, in her whole, broken, and distorted state. He cries, God love you, God forgive you, because he not only loves Estella for himself, but for her sake. Pip's unconditional love is Estella and Miss Havisham's only redemption. The purity and cleanliness of such a love is not something either woman had thought possible, and so failed to see it. Thus, Pip's feelings suffered from being manipulated, exploited, ignored, and scorned. So, the goal of Pip's journey over the novel is, in fact, a lessening, not a quickening. Each time a great expectation is broken, he returns more to himself, to the boy he once was. It is a matter of returning to the source, the core of your essence, that is so easily influenced and distorted out of shape. In Estella's case, she had not had a chance to explore her original nature, as Miss Havisham had broken her from it since the very beginning. Miss Havisham is a case of total, crystallised trauma and fear. After loving a man so completely only to be abandoned on her wedding day, she chooses to remain in that terrible moment by solidifying the fractal that it made. She stays for years in her wedding gown with the entire bridal room untouched and matted with cobwebs. She chooses to never see the sunlight or the wonderful natures of the world. Everything to her was ugly and unjust, so she made herself ugly and unjust. Truly, Miss Havisham, in her grief, conducted the greatest crime of all, above the villains of the novel, 
and the convict. She took a perfect child and made it of her name, poisoning it slowly to only know and believe in the projection Miss Havisham had solidified. Thus, she weaponized Estella's youth and beauty, used her to ruin the lives of men by spurning their feelings for her, and taught her to sacrifice her happiness for this worthy cause, and that happiness for her only be found in the heartbreak of men. But in Miss Havisham's delirium, she failed to account for one thing. Estella, brought up to despise all love, also grew without love for her adopted mother. This shocked Miss Havisham, as she expected, in her ignorance, for Estella to love her like a mother, having been the one to bring her up. Thus, Estella, quite fairly, rejects all accountability, bestowing every success and failure of hers to Miss Havisham, including her inability to love her. I must be taken as I have been made. The success is not mine, the failure is not mine, but the two together make me. I am what you designed me to be. I am your blade. You cannot now complain if you also feel the hurt. Estella continues most of her life reenacting Miss Havisham's trauma, even when Pip begs her not to throw away her life and happiness. She tells him, You must know that I have no heart. Oh, I have a heart to be stabbed in or shot in, I have no doubt, and of course if it ceased to beat, I would cease to be. But you know what I mean. I have no softness there, no sympathy, sentiment, nonsense. I have not bestowed my tenderness anywhere. I have never had any such thing. So, Estella is destined to carry out the sins of her mother. Miss Havisham becomes her daughter's keeper, and Pip devoted in utter foolishness as he is, loves her despite it, against it, because of it, and in spite of it. Love her, love her, love her. If she favours you, love her. If she wounds you, love her. If she tears your heart to pieces, and as it gets older and stronger, it will tear deeper. Love her, love her, love her. Even so, Estella is his constant, his true north, he takes her as she has been made and without illusion to tender it. When they meet again some years in the future, at the ruined estate where it had all began, Pip had not seen her for eleven years. The freshness of her beauty having faded, the dignity not lost but softened, he is still enraptured by her beauty. Not the beauty that she then presented in visage, but the memory of a beauty his heart had embalmed. He sees Estella, wearied by suffering of her own cause, and remembers the truth he had always carried in his heart since he was a boy. The ultimate truth that renders all else like dust that falls from the ornament. He loves her. That's where he lives. And together, as the evening mists rise, they walk hand in hand out of the old place. And even when they mean to say goodbye, they know that they will never say goodbye even when their lips utter it. And Pip knows in the broad expanse of tranquil that he sees no shadow of another parting from her. When Pip first utters his feelings in complete bareness to Estella, Miss Havisham is struck by something that had since then been entirely lost on her. She, for the first time in her miserable life, 
felt doubt of her own beliefs, the beliefs she had so sternly lived by, and the beliefs she had melded in Estella. When Pip exclaims how he loves her, not as an object of beauty or affection, but as another imperative valve of Pip's bleeding, happy, and miserable heart, indistinguishable from his own soul, Miss Havisham places her hand over her mouth in pain and fear. In that quick moment, Miss Havisham lived outside of the fractal. At that moment, life, unspoiled and unrepressed, sprang from her and gave her first animation. Because a crack in her marble heart persisted. Her truth, or whosoever's truth, had been living in place of the whole Miss Havisham all this time, had proven an inconsistency. Believing love not to be real, or if it were real to be rank and false and to only cause suffering, transformed in a little to utter conviction of the opposite. Pip's heart had never been protected, never built an iron forge around it, and thus his mind to portray such emotions had never been poisoned, even in his corruption and leading away from the self. For his self, despite all the layers of illusion, still remained, and at the centre was Estella. Out of my thoughts, you are part of my existence, part of myself. You have been in every line I have ever read since I first came here, the rough, common boy whose poor heart you wounded even then. You have been in every prospect I have ever seen since, on the river, on the sails of the ships, on the marshes, in the clouds, in the lights, in the darkness, in the wind, in the woods, in the sea, in the streets. You have been the embodiment of every graceful fancy that my mind has ever become acquainted with. The stones of which the strongest London buildings are made are not more real or more impossible to displace with your hands than your presence and influence have been to me there and everywhere, and will be. Estella, to the last hour of my life you cannot choose but remain part of my character, part of the little good in me, part of the evil. But in this separation I associate you only with the good, and I will faithfully hold you to that always. For you must have done me far more good than harm. Let me feel now what sharp distress I may. Oh, God bless you. God forgive you. Pip had forgiven Estella for everything she'd done and everything she could do, long before he'd ever met her. And by forgiving Estella, he forgave Miss Havisham. And for a little, she released her eternal hatred and grief and indubitably became human. As her entire construct of reality began to crumble, she descended further into a guilt-ridden madness, culminating into her attempting to set herself and her room, where she had been keeping herself prisoner for years, on fire. But Pip saved her. In the same scene, Miss Havisham begs Pip to forgive her, finally understanding that her twisting and exploiting of Estella's nature was utterly unforgivable. Pip does not give her fallacies of justification, but he does forgive her. Why? Because he too seeks forgiveness. At this point, Pip has discovered that he himself had been unfair and misled, and seeks direction and redemption also, and sees himself now as common as any other person who made mistakes and wishes to learn from them. He gives forgiveness to Miss Havisham because he knows no one else could ever give it to her, and because she needs it. 
The personal odyssey that Pip undertakes is almost accidental. Everything falls into his lap, and his realizations are almost afterthoughts. The innocence of Pip is what he must return to, and when he returns to it, slowly and slowly, almost unnoticeably, he feels more than anything a clean grace. It manifests in his acceptance, compassion, forgiveness, and love for others, whom before he had deemed unredeemable, not deserving. Or not needing of his compassion. At the beginning of Pip's expectations, he grows to develop a shameful regard for his home, the old forge, old good Joe, simple Biddy, and all the base and simple things he had once thought honest. As his perspective on the world widens and his experiences prove utterly different, he represses these vain thoughts and persists to maintain a happy and generous image. But Joe, the man who had raised him, and Biddy, Joe's wise young assistant, are able to see through him. Even when Pip is overcome with his new prospects and begins to see everything in a new light, and takes upon himself that he is so deserving of such generosity, a part of him is left untouched, and continues to yearn for the simple warmth and constancy of home. When at the end of Pip's expectations he is utterly humbled by certain circumstances, he begs forgiveness for his old treatment of Joe and Biddy and his ingratitude. He spends eleven years working hard and honestly, now without any inheritance, and begins again without any expectations. One of the greatest initiations for Pip was finding out who his benefactor was. And that it was indeed the same convict that haunted his dreams. After spending most of the novel at internal odds with the man, and repulsed at his devotion to Pip, he discovers that the convict's daughter, whom he thought had died, was actually Estella. This altered Pip's reality further, and he began to see Magwitch as an honest man as he listened to his story, who had been taken advantage of and blamed for crimes he did not commit. He began to feel compassion and pity, and by and by, a genuine love and acceptance. As Magwitch lay on his deathbed, Pip gives him the greatest gift, the chance to die in peace. Pip tells him, "You had a child once. You loved her and lost her. She is living now. She is a beautiful lady, and I love her." With the last pressure on Pip's hand, Magwitch passed away, a good and very content man. So, in essence, Pip began the story with nothing and suddenly attained everything, only to lose it all again over the whole course of the novel. It is only when you have nothing that you can then be free to have everything, to be empty and unpopulated, to then be hungry enough for population. And Pip slowly but surely built himself a real sense of self, all in his own. He had to peel back all the layers obscuring him to free what was underneath, which was his essence and his truth. And only then could Pip move on from his expectations, which were illusions or instruments made to delude. Another interesting facet to Pip's story is his good friend Herbert. He first met Herbert in Miss Havisham's place, where they had fought as kids. Pip remembers how much of an honourable and good sport he was, and had an impression that Herbert, with such a gentle-natured boy, 
that he would never have the chance to be successful. At the end of the book, it is said by Pip that their business only succeeded because of Herbert's natural grace and spirit, and that he did not know why he had been convinced of Herbert's inadequacy all those years ago. But then he realized that it was perhaps not his impression of Herbert, but only a projection of himself. In a word, it was impossible for me to separate her, in the past or in the present, from the innermost life of my life. Even though Estella is not much in the novel, she is a huge presence in it, because she lives in Pip. Pip could never extricate Estella from his soul, even when he wanted to, because she was as dear to him as his own soul, if not more. For his soul was only his soul because he loved Estella. As long as she existed, as long as he loved her, and as long as the past remained, Pip could live in the hole she had created, when she herself had tried to carve a dint. And even when she broke his heart, he gave her the honour to do it. He gave her the utmost respect to do with it as she liked, because he knew it to be hers, even so. Even when she did not want it, it was hers. It was given and not returned, for you cannot give what the other does not lack. Thus, Pip goes through a journey of self-realisation and self-actualization by learning who he is without the influence of others and material things. He is not now the young boy at the forge, and he is not now the rich gentleman. He is now simply Pip, not of the forge, not of London, but of the world. Pip remains as himself while incorporating all those who had touched him. Magwitch, Joe, Miss Havisham, his abusive sister, Herbert, and of course, Estella. And endeavours to be at peace with himself as a product of all the people he had known, of all the lessons he had learned, of all the mistakes he had made, all the injustices, all the kindnesses, and all the great expectations. And he returns to his core and his ultimate truth, while all the while being someone entirely new for the better of it. Thus, it is a coming-of-age story, and at the heart of this age is love, and in consequence, all that springs from honouring it. <laughs>